Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Six people are dead after a mass shooting at a private Christian elementary school in Nashville, Tennessee. Three nine-year-old children were murdered, and three school staff members, all in their 60s. The 28-year-old shooter was killed by police. Today, we talk to Ashby Beasley. Beasley is a survivor of the mass shooting in Highland Park last July 4th. By some twist of fate, she found herself at the doorstep of another mass shooting, this one at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee. We checked in with her to hear her thoughts as the country reels from another gun-related tragedy. Ashby, it's remarkable that you just happened to be near the site of this mass school shooting after you recently survived a mass shooting. Walk us through what happened yesterday. Where were you? Well, you know, I, I have to say that I know that people think that it's, it's you know, how what are the chances? The chances are really high in this climate, to be completely honest with you. We have kids who were just experienced the mass shooting in Oxford, Michigan, and then went to college and experienced the second mass shooting. We have kids in, you know, um, Newtown, um, Connecticut, who were part of a mass shooting and then experienced the second mass shooting in college. Yeah. Um, so it's actually not that shocking that, you know, I've been near two mass shooting events. Um, I wow. was in, yeah, it, it, and it's it's just getting worse. It's just going to keep keep going like this until we pass gun safety legislation. That is the unfortunate fact and truth about it. Fifty um, percent of Americans have experienced gun violence themselves or know someone who has, and that number is just going to keep rising. Well, tell us, how did you learn about what happened at the Covenant School? Um, so I was actually in town visiting my sister-in-law, um, and I was meeting a friend from um, that I had met in D.C. Um, while lobbying there, we were connected by the mother um, of Ethan Song. Um, her gun safety, the, her gun storage safety law is called Ethan's Law after her son. Um, and she asked me if I would invite Shondell onto some of my lobbying meetings, into some of my meetings. And I was like, sure. And so that's how we met. And Shondell um, lost her son in the um, five years ago in the Waffle House mass shooting in Antioch, Tennessee. Um, her younger son was with her son when he was killed. And we were going to have lunch. We were just going to have lunch. Um, I was. She lives here in Nashville, and we were um, going to get together, not talk about guns, just have like a nice lunch together. And right. she called me when I was on my way there and said, "My son's school is locked down. There's been a shooting at the school down the street, um, and the three children are dead." Yeah. And I just was like, "Where are you? I'm. Get, I'm." coming to you. Where are you? And um, she couldn't get to her son because the school was completely locked down. He was at the high school down the street. So we just found our way to the to the school where the mm-hmm. shooting had happened. And soon after the shooting, after a police spokesperson finished updating journalists, you stepped up to the mic unprompted and, and you gave a short speech that some TV stations actually ended up broadcasting live. What did you say for those of us who, who missed it? What did you want to get across in that moment? I mean, I think we need to start talking about the facts here. The fact that, you know, our gun culture is is um, is, is led to a, a health crisis, a health epidemic. That's what gun violence is. It's a public health crisis. Um, it is the number one killer of children and teens. Guns are the number one killer of children and teens. It's overtaken cars. 
as, you know, the leading cause of death. And we can't look away from this. You know, with um, mass shootings, the, the statistics are alarming. 77% of mass shooters buy their guns legally. They buy them legally. You can be 18 years old and you can walk into a store and in some cases not even have to go through a background check and walk yeah. out with an AR-15 style weapon that's made for combat. No one had asked you to speak yesterday, but you, you felt that you had to. Why? Because not everyone would have stepped up to the mic like that, Ashby. I feel like we it's just time for us to talk about these things. It's yeah. time for us to say enough is enough. It's time for, you know, I wanted to know, like, did the media, are they tired? Are they tired of this? Or is anyone tired of this? Are we ready to take our country back from the gun lobby? Are we ready to live without fear? Are we ready to go to the grocery store without being afraid of being gunned down in the grocery grocery aisle? We done being afraid sending our kids to school? I mean, we have, through this, through mass shootings, We've created a billion-dollar industry in the school shooter drill business model. Do you know what I mean? That's where we're at. Like, our gun culture is so toxic that we are re-traumatizing our children with these shooter drills and lining the pockets of people who, who put these drills on. And when is it going to stop? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I just felt in that moment, like, I just need to say it. I need to say it. I need to be honest about this. Like, this is the leading cause. This is the leading killer of kids. Let's talk about it. Let's not look away. Let's not point fingers. Let's make change. Let's talk about it. If you can, can you tell us more about July 4th, 2022? Like, what did you and your family experience that day in Highland Park? Yeah, we went to the parade. It was the first parade um, in a long time because of COVID. And we, um, my son and I, were getting ready to walk in the parade, and the shots rang out. And it was just, I thought they were fireworks. I just thought, like, what kind of a jerk is that? I know fireworks, you know? Um, I didn't even think it was, you know, gunfire. And then people started running around us. People started screaming, you know, there's, it's real, there's fatalities. And um, we, my whole instinct was to run home. And doing so, I ran west, which, like, put us right in the middle of a wave of people coming from another direction. And we got caught up in them. And people were, they had blood on them. They were wailing. They were screaming, crying. Grown men were falling. Mm -hmm. Um, Somebody yelled, the shooter's coming. And my son was, you know, I had him by the hand. And he was just screaming over and over again, like, what's happening? What's happening? And, you know, you don't know it. I don't know what's happening. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm just trying to get us home safe. And my arm pulled down and I looked and he was face down on the ground. He had thrown himself down on the ground and he was screaming, I don't want to die. I don't want to die over and over again. And I had to get down on the ground with him and get him to get up and get him to keep going. Um, and my husband, unbeknownst to me, he um, wasn't with us at the parade. He had pulled up in the car and was trapped behind a large crowd of people just like running in the street. And he was just sitting helplessly watching us on the ground, not wow. having any idea what was going on. And finally, when the crowd, you know, thinned, he was able to come over and, and pick us up in the car and take us home. Wow, that that experience, it sounds like, in many ways, it, it changed the trajectory of your life. It definitely did. And my sons, too. You know, he's very angry. And my husband. Like, he's, you know, he came home and he just, he couldn't even, he just completely sobbed and broke down because yeah. he just, it's all too much. It's all too much thinking, you know, you don't know where your family is. You don't know if they're safe. Ashby, I want to go back to the conversation you were telling us about earlier. You you mentioned being in Nashville after this visit to Washington, D.C., to to talk to lawmakers about gun reform. 
And uh, you also met up with this other person. So tell us more about what the conversation was like between you and, and Shondell Brooks before these shots rang out there in Nashville. I mean, we were just excited to see each other. We were just excited to be actually having lunch and not talking about, you know, guns and, and just spending time together. And um, I think, you know, when she called me and she was very frantic and she was telling me where, you know, her son was at the school down the street and they were locked down and that they weren't letting parents nearby, um, I just, you know, we, we were just, all we could just say to each other was, I'm coming, I'm going to be there. And I think, you know, in the back of our minds, we're just like, are you kidding me again, mm. again? And only in America, you know, can you be a survivor of a mass shooting and be friends with a, with who, you know, has a connection to a mass shooting and meet that friend in a town that you don't live in on vacation and be in the vicinity of another mass shooting, mm. like only in America, only in America. Would you say that uh, you were prepared to be so close to another one? I mean, as you say, it, it didn't come by surprise. You say it wasn't uh, a twist of fate, right, um, being near another shooting. Was there anything else you could have done to prepare for sort of walking right into almost yet another one? I think that, you know, as as somebody in the gun violence prevention space, I think we just, we are always bracing for it because we know how easy it is to access weapons, how easy people can get their hands on them, how, um, you know, the majority, it's like something like millions of children live in a house with an unsecured weapon that's loaded. You know what I mean? And this yeah. is just, it's just a ticking time bomb. It's going to happen. We just, it, we feel it. It's going to happen sooner or later until we pass gun safety legislation, until we pass safe storage laws, until we require background checks on every single gun purchase. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue being like this. And, and I think we're just always prepared emotionally. I think when I hear it, it's, I'm stunned, I'm upset, but in the back of my mind, yeah. it's like it was just a matter of when. But you know who might not be prepared? That's our kids. Right. All parents, I think, are struggling with with how to talk to them about mass shootings and how to talk to them about the threat of gun violence. Your situation, yours is intensified by the fact that your family saw it firsthand. What is your approach now moving forward with, with your kids? I mean, I let him lead the conversation. I let him ask questions. I let him I let him guide guide it. I don't, you know, bring it up to him. Um, but, you know, when he does ask, we do talk about it. We do listen to him. And I, you know, I met some parents that were at the school and one asked if I had any words um, of advice. Um, she said she had a five-year-old. And I said, as soon as you can let your five-year-old know that the person with the bad gun cannot hurt them anymore, it's important to say that. It's important to give them that foundation that they are safe. Mm-hmm. And it's true. It's This is true. It's like a fact that this, this person cannot hurt you anymore. You are not in imminent danger anymore. The minute we were able to tell our son that our shooter had been arrested and he was in jail and he was not going to be able to hurt anyone anymore, yeah. there was like an enormous amount of relief that came over him. And so that is one of the things that I have, have told parents in this situation. Yeah. You, you've talked a bit about your trip to Washington and, and some of the asks. President Biden, again, has called for an assault weapons ban. Republicans in Congress, they seem unlikely to take that step. Yet you are reaching out to lawmakers from both parties. Why? 
Well, we need we need Republicans to help us pass this. We need bipartisan support for it. And quite honestly, this is, you know, people say don't make it political. Well, it is political because it involves our lawmakers, but it's not partisan. You know, the numbers don't lie. Um, the majority of Americans, two-thirds of Americans, according to Fox News, support a federal assault weapon ban. That's a lot of Republicans. Ninety percent of gun, ninety um, percent of Americans want to see, you know, more comprehensive background checks. That's a lot of Republicans. Um, and there just seems to be a, a large, a small number of um, Republicans who are just extremely vocal. They're very loud, but they're in the minority and not the majority. That gets lost. There are Republicans who are frustrated that they can't work across the aisle with Democrats. They say that they can't govern because of the um, heat that they get from, um, you know, far right mm -hmm. Republicans who punish them for working across the aisle. And so I think, you know, that's, that's why I keep reaching out to Republicans. That's why I keep talking to them. And I do try really hard to address their talking points and their concerns. Yeah. to make it easier for them to almost give them an out, like they can do this. You can do this because we are addressing, you know, um, conservative concerns with yeah. some of the, these resolutions. Well, Ashley, I can't imagine the stress of the last 24 hours for you. So first, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us live on air. What is next for you? You know, I'm just going to keep going at it. I'll be back in D.C. in April um, meeting with lawmakers and just continuing to try to push and get, you know, gun safety a priority and get pieces of legislation passed that will save lives in our country. Um, I am excited to see that Nikki Budinsky from Illinois, she co-sponsored the assault weapon ban. It was official today. So, you know, that's, that's all, what it's all about, those yeah. little victories and those celebrations and just, you know, taking that as um, yeah. as motivation to keep moving. We've been speaking with Ashby Beasley. She's a survivor of the mass shooting in Highland Park, and she joined us from Nashville, the site of yesterday's school shooting. Thank you so much, Ashby. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye. Now we'll turn to Dion McGill. He's a community outreach manager for Strengthening Chicago's Youth. That's a project out of Lurie Children's Hospital working to prevent violence before it starts. Welcome back to Reset, Dion. Thanks for having me. What's your reaction to what you've seen about this latest mass shooting and, and of course, what you just heard from Ashby Beasley? Um, yeah, you, you know, it's interesting. The first time I was ever on WBZ was actually uh, following a school shooting. And that to me seems like a lifetime away. But here we are having yeah. the same conversation. That conversation was with Miss Jen White. Mm -hmm. Now I'm sitting here with you and we have to ask ourselves what has changed. And I mean, Ms. Beasley offered tons of great information. Um, I agree with everything she said. Um, and we have to eventually come to a conclusion that we need to make some vast systemic changes. Um, because we don't see this everywhere else. This is a uniquely American problem. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's frustrating. I actually have very dear friends who live just outside of Nashville. Um, and when I heard the news, my immediate thought was about them and their three children. Um, you know, and yeah. it, it makes makes you sad. It's Violence tough. is sad. Seeing this is sad. Um, but it's also infuriating because there are salute. You know, and one thing I want you please make sure your listeners know: this is preventable. It is wholly preventable because other countries are preventing it, and we eventually have to have real conversations and and draw real conclusions to that end. Yeah, how do we do that? How do we prevent activity like this before it happens? 
um, you know, well, Ms. Beasley makes a great point. Like, we have to the, – the corporate gun lobby has such a stronghold on so many politicians, making it hard to make any changes. And, and my work and the work with Strengthening Chicago's Youth is, is obviously focused here in Illinois. You know, and we know, like, um, I was posting about the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Johns Hopkins yes. and the Bloomberg School and their Center for Gun Violence Solutions. Uh, but they put out a report last year talking about solutions specifically for Illinois. And, for example, um, improving our Ford card process. I have a Ford card, and I completely applied for it using my cell phone just, just to prove a point. You're talking um, about the card that allows you to be able to purchase guns. Absolutely. That's, that shouldn't... You can't get a driver's license solely using your cell phone. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like we have we have like issues and problems and processes that need to be fixed um, that attribute to these problems. Well, tell us more about the work that you're doing with young people around gun violence. Specifically right now, uh, we're doing a lot of I mean, gun violence directly relates to mental health and trauma. Um, and so we recently did a uh, research project with a. Uh, one of our community partners, Communities United, um, on the west side of the city um, around mental health and trauma, specifically with boys and young men of color. Um, and obviously gun violence came into that conversation um, because if you live on the west side, I live on the south side in Inglewood, um, you know, gun violence is a daily activity, um, something that we see all the time. Mm-hmm. So we're having lots of conversation around that in ways that um, we should be combating that mental health and trauma with them. Um, and they're offering tons of great perspectives, uh, which led us to uh, now being a part of the Kellogg Foundation Racial Equity um, Grant Program. Yeah. And we're continuing that work in their model of healing through justice. Tell us um, more about that perspective you, you mentioned there, Dion. What, what are you hearing from these students that you're you're working with? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you hear, as a veteran, uh, you hear a lot from youth, which is that um, a lot of the things they experience are very similar to what a combat veteran was experienced with PTSD. Uh, depression, sadness, hypervigilance. Um, and unfortunately, we, we hear, you know, we hear that in discussion, something, things that you shouldn't be hearing from children. Um, and so obviously we're, you know, focusing a lot on the treatment. What do we do? What are the next steps? Mm-hmm. How do we help? Uh, you hear this phrase now a lot in the city, treatment, not trauma. Uh, how do we provide those things uh, specifically to youth? Uh, so that's a lot of where our conversations are circling around. Yeah. Um, are there specific gun reforms that you want to see at the local, state, or national level? Oh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, specifically, just... Um, we we have the new firearm restraining orders, but the implementation of that needs to be improved. As I mentioned before, um, definitely improving the FOIA card process. It mm-hmm. will be amazing to see fingerprinting um, accompanied with that process. Also, that process having to be done in person. Um, and then, you know, obviously here in Chicago, Chicago is a, a uh, amazing major city, always has been, and one of the reasons is because it's a great place for trade and travel. Um, so we, we have to figure out a way to also how to counteract gun trafficking that happens in our city with the Illinois State Police. And so, you know, there are tons of solutions that we can start to implement that will impact this problem. Dion McGill is a communications and community outreach manager for Strengthening Chicago's Youth at Lurie Children's Hospital. Thank you so much for joining us, Dion. Of course. Thank you. 
That episode of The Reset Podcast was produced by Daniel Tucker and Michael Liptrot. It was edited by Stephanie Kim. When you need a trusted source to process the biggest news stories of the day, we're here for you. You can catch Reset's full show every weekday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Central Time at wbez.org slash live or on 91.5 FM on your radio dial. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll meet again soon. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.